I chased Scott Jurek and Carl Meltzer, and I chased them the first 40 miles not too far back, and then just started to like implode. The voice that you were just listening to is Jeff Browning. He's ran such amazing races. He's the third most winning 100 mile ultramarathon runner in history. First place stands Carl Meltzer. Second is Ann Trayson. There's so much in here. Jeff goes into great detail about Western States top 10 places, races against other top named ultra running athletes, his diet, his lifestyle approach, and how he shares his life with mountain biking and strength training and always seems to come out on top. Sit back, hold tight and enjoy. My sister will now introduce the show. Welcome to the Christian Ultra Podcast. Hey Jeff, do you want to shout out any sponsors? My biggest ones are Patagonia and, and Ultra Footwear. Uh, those would be the main two that I'd want to shout out, but that's uh, the rest are, are uh, that, those are the two main ones. Yeah. Okay. All good. And um, so let's dive in. What did you have for breakfast? Just four eggs and a cup of coffee with heavy whipping cream in it. We're, we're watching our neighbor's chickens right now. Um, they're out of town for a month. So my daughter's been going down the street to, they have some backyard chickens. And she's been taking care of their chickens and we've been getting free eggs. How about the, uh, how about the beard, man? How long have you had the beard? I've always seen you in photos with the, the beard. It's like trademark. Oh, man, since 1998. I haven't seen my face <laughs> since the 90s. Um, uh, well, actually, you know, I take that back. In 2009, I did briefly shave my beard off for my kids, my older two kids. Uh, I have three kids, but the two older ones were younger at the, mo at the time, and they wanted to see what I looked like, so I shaved it off and uh, immediately grew back the beard. Um, so it didn't take very long. Within a within a week, I was pretty scruffy already. So, um, you know, maybe you got to see me like three days without a beard. Yeah, it's weird. I, I grew a beard once and then you get used to it and you shave it off and you're like, who is that guy? So do you want to um, introduce yourself in terms of like, okay, everyone knows you're Jeff Browning. So your age, height, weight, and body fat. <laughs> I don't even know what my body fat is, but it's low. Um, uh, my name is Jeff Browning. Uh, my age is 48. I'm almost 49. Uh, five foot nine inches. And I weigh about 140, 142 pounds at the moment. What's, what's that in kilograms? Do you know quick conversion? Uh, it's like 62, 63. Wow. That's lean then. That's good power to weight uh, ratio. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I fluctuate during the season a little bit. Um, you know, right now I'm a little heavier cause, cause I've been doing extra strength training at the moment, just with the whole lockdown. I did a lot of like home workouts. I did a challenge with my athletes and, uh, we did, we have a body weight strength routine we do every day as a challenge. And, uh, we're on day 68 in a row of, doing me and three others. We were going to, we did a last person standing and we're down to me and two other people, um, two of my coached athletes. Um, we started out with a seven day challenge. A lot of people did that one. And then, um, we continued with seven of us, uh, to do a last person standing. And now we're down to three. 
So we're still going. Um, so I'm doing a, I'm doing everyday running streak as well. So I'm on day 71. Today will be 72 days in a row of no days off. Is there is there a requirement for the distance or the time duration for that uh, running streak? Oh, when I'm when I'm doing a streak on running, um, and I'm not doing that with my athletes. I'm just doing that by myself. Um, yeah. That that one, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just like you know, two or three mile run. Like my shortest runs about right now is about four miles, like on oh, an okay. easy yeah. day when I normally would be like in a normal, if I wasn't trying to streak, I would, I would, I would say, Oh, I'm going to take a rest day today. Then I go run. I go plan on running three miles, like a 5k and like an easy five flat 5k on gravel pathway. Yeah. And then I'll end up running four or five miles. Yeah. You know, uh, if I, if I, if I say, I just gotta, I just gotta get out the door on those days. So how what what's going to happen if you get beat by your clients in the uh, bodyweight <laughs> workout? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, well, one of the one of the guys that was in the original, he says he's making a belt buckle, uh, um, <laughs> some kind of an award for whoever wins it. He's already yeah. out, but he says he's going to get a belt buckle made for whoever. I don't know. We'll see if that happens. But um, that's pretty cool. Know, they're gonna they're gonna be uh, they'll get they'll get a lot of a lot of. Uh, They'll have a lot of bragging rights, I guess. Oh yeah. And just before I go back to, I'm going to get people to like learn about your past, but so how about the run streak? Are you thinking, you know, until you forever, or are you just like, ah, oh, just this year or <laughs> lockdown? Or I what? almost broke it yesterday. <laughs> uh, I was sitting on the front porch. It was a sunny morning and we have a East facing porch on our house nice. and and it's just, you know, sun's out. My wife and I are having coffee on the front porch. And it's like, I, I was, I checked emails that morning and I was like, I didn't have calls until late in the afternoon that day, yesterday. And so I was kind of feeling pretty lazy and I had body work yesterday scheduled for noon. And on those days, I'm not going to run or work out after. And, and so I had to get the strength training workout done that I have the challenge. And I had to get my run done before my noon appointment and it was like 10 it was like 10 15 and i was still sitting there with coffee and i was like i'm running out of time i gotta go get a run in and i gotta go knock the strength out before noon and i was supposed to go pick my son up at 11 and my wife goes you gotta go run i was like no i was like i was gonna quit and she's like no you're not quitting go go out the door so i went and ran yesterday but um yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'll just, sometimes I'll just, I do this every once in a while in the spring. Yeah. I'll do little streaks. This is the longest one I've done. Um, but I, I typically am smarter than this and give myself rest days. But yeah, I, I, there's, there's a guy over in the UK, because I'm doing this podcast from London, UK. There's a guy called Ron Hill. Have you heard of this guy? Ron no. Hill. Okay, so R-O-N Hill. And I think his running streak lasted something like, 20 years or something it's that's crazy like i yeah. i think i i train too there's times when i'm training so hard that there you do need days off i mean i think that's an important thing as a coach like i do emphasize that you need rest days um and i would say that um i probably won't do it long term but right now with no events on the horizon right away i'm just kind of yeah. running every day and we've had beautiful spring this year in in montana so Spring came a little early, so I've just really been enjoying getting in the mountains. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole idea. I think you've, I've heard you use the term flexitarian. And if you're just 
if you're just limited to just sticking to one path all the time, you know, I'm going to do a running streak forever. You may not feel like running one day. And then what is the point of that? You know, what is the purpose? I got it wrong. Yeah. It's 52 years and 39 days. He oh ran. my gosh. <laughs> that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So, um, yeah. Hey, how about, um, sharing your history in, um, ultra, you know, uh, I've looked on your ultra sign up and it kind of goes back to 2001. Yeah, that was the first year I ran my first 50K in February of 2001, Hag Lake 50K, uh, yeah. coastal, in the coastal range in Oregon. Um, I had just moved to Bend, Oregon in 2000. So I was a mountain biker, climber, backpacker, mainly yeah. a mountain biker. And when I moved to Bend, Oregon in 2000, uh, my first friend in town was um, he had run like five marathons and had just run a 50 K trail race and kind of introduced me to ultra marathons. And I was a runner more just to run my dog, to keep my dog from chewing things up in my house. And, uh, and uh, just kind of always was a runner on the side for fit, just a little bit of fitness, you know, 20 to 45 minutes. Like a jogger jogging. <laughs> yeah, I was a jogger for sure. Um, I mean, I was a, I was an 800 meter runner in, in, in high school and, you know, I ran distance in, in track and field, but, um, and did well as an 800 meter runner, but, um, but we didn't have a cross country team or anything like that. I, I played football, uh, American football and, um, and then played, you know, basketball and wrestled a little bit and played baseball and kind of traditional sports in the eighties. Um, and then, uh, you know, fast forward, I moved to Colorado after college and I was into mountain biking and got into climbing while I was in, uh, sport climbing and bouldering while I was in Denver. And then when we moved to Oregon, um, I was mainly moving there for the mountain biking, the trail system that was in central Oregon. And then my buddy got me into these and I got hooked. We decided, he told me about Western States 100. And so we started training for Western States 100 to qualify with back then you had to qualify with a 50 mile race. Yeah. And so we were trying to qualify and get in the race and we got in the race in 2002. Um, both of us did. Um, back then the lottery was like 50, 50% chance of getting in, you know, now it's like, what, I don't know, 3% or something. It's so low. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, we got hooked in the, in the, in the span of two seasons training for a hundred, my first hundred, which I thought would be kind of a bucket list item where you just one and done. Yeah. Um, I kind of got hooked on the whole culture and the community of ultra running and trail running and just really enjoyed the idea of going light and fast in the mountains. Um, yeah. you know, kind of combined mountain biking and climbing. And I liked that or, or backpacking even because in backpacking you go, Oh, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to do this 50 K loop in five days, you know, backpacking where you would, you know, in running, you go, oh, I'm going to run it in a day. So, um, which I really like that. I like that kind of really simple purist kind of approach to the sport. And, and I actually see, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to cut you off here, but I, I want to stop him and, and talk about some of the stuff you're saying, because like, it's really cool. You actually got sub 24 in your first Western. Yeah, I totally, I didn't know what the heck I was doing either. Um, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I just was like, I was just trying to run them to finish them at the time and try to learn about them. We weren't trying to, I didn't do any speed work. I didn't do any kind of like intelligent training. I just got out and at that time I was only running maybe four days a week and I was mountain biking a couple days a week still. Um, so I was cross training on my bike cause I just couldn't handle the volume. My, my legs had never run that many, like that much, that consistently, you know, I'd run like 20, 30 minute runs, you know, three times a week, you know, all through the nineties. So I didn't do much. I, I just, I, my, I, my body needed time to adapt to that stress. Well, it, it seems you made the right choice because you did a hundred K in May of 2002, just before Western state. So like you jumped up, I take it. That was the longest you'd run a hundred K before Western States. Yeah. I had run a 50 mile training run in April of that year. Uh, my buddy had gone to a 50 mile race and I was like, we'd been, we were training for Western States together at the time. Neither one of us had kids. And so we decided like, when he was the weekend, he was running a 50 miler in California. I was like, well, I'm going to run a 50 miler today. So I went out and did 52 miles in two runs. I had two dogs at the time. So I took one dog out for like 27 miles and another dog out for like 25 miles in the afternoon. And I, and I stopped by home. I, I ran one route in the morning and then I stopped by home, ate some food, drove to another trailhead and ran, uh, another 25 miles that day. Um, and, and that was like, you know, self-supported by myself. And that was a really good trainer to get ready for that hundred K. So the hundred K, you know, ended up, I did, I did fine in the hundred K and, you know, but it, it was definitely, there's learning experiences going on at that time. You know, you know, I think hundred milers became something, you know, spe that you've actually specialized in as well. Yeah. I mean, my God, when I got done, I mean, after going sub 24 in the first one, I, I was really like, my wife and I chatted about the whole way home and driving back to Oregon from California. And, uh, she was, <laughs> she was at the time, we didn't know this, but she was three weeks from giving birth to our first son. She was pregnant. So we, it was a surprise. Like we weren't ready for him to come that early. Um, he came about three or four weeks early. So, so it was like, we thought we still had like six, seven, eight weeks and he ended up coming like three weeks after the, after we were in California. So she was very pregnant at the time. And, and she thought, <laughs> she thought that was like, I just needed to get that out of my system before we had kids. Um, little did she know <laughs> that it would become a lifestyle um, and, and a profession eventually. Um, but yeah, I just, I really, really enjoyed the race. It was, it was hurt and it was hard, but I was kind of a, hooked on it after I was done with it, I knew I'd do another one. And I, after that, I just kept scheming like, Hey, I'm going to do, I'm going to do one every year. You know, I'm going to do 100 every year and then do a bunch of 50 K's and you know, 50 K's, 50 milers and, and do a hundred miler every year. And so I just kind of made it a, a point to, I got injured in 2003. So I didn't end up getting a hundred in. And then I ran my second hundred in 2004 at Wasatch. And from that point on, I ran kind of one a year, until 07. Then I started doing two a year in 2007. And then in 2014, I started doing four a year. Uh, and that's when I really started like zeroing in on these after 07. Um, I just started having success in 05. I got a win at Bighorn and 06 got a win at Bighorn. And then I got a win at Arkansas traveler in 07. 
And I just kind of kept winning at 100 a year for most yeah. years. And um, I just kind of, you know, found that that was my distance. Can you remember what it felt like to win that first hundred? So my wife wasn't traveling with me. You know, she was, she had just, or she was really pregnant in 05 when I won Bighorn. And so I had driven there solo by myself, no crew, no pacers, went off drop bags to win the race. I didn't have anyone helping me. Um, and, uh, and I just, I, it was cool. Like, I, I don't know. I just got well, anyone who's won a race ever, it's addictive. If you win, it's very addictive. And yeah. so, I, you know, there's nothing better than winning. So, um, yeah, I just kind of kept like, focusing in on, on 100 milers mainly and uh, using all other distances just to train for 100 milers and, um, and just enjoy the community. And, um, yeah, I got kind of got hooked and then it just I've been doing it ever since for 20 years now and then uh also going back to western states I see that uh, again I'm looking on ultra sign up I don't remember this um your next western states was 2016 so 14 years later I couldn't get the, in yeah <laughs> it took me forever to get back in I, I tried for like seven years to get back in to try because at that point I started getting fast in hundreds and I really wanted to go run Western States. I thought I could be in the top 10. And, um, and I knew I had a shot at that. And I just, I tried to get in, tried to get in the lottery, couldn't get in. Finally, Ultra Footwear, one of my sponsors, um, became a sponsor of the race in 2016. And I knew just from being around the sport so long, I knew that a sponsor got at least one or two slots. And, and they became a title sponsor, which gave them two slots. And I immediately, as soon as I found out before it was announced, I had heard it through the grapevine. I emailed Ultra and said, hey, I want one of those slots if there's one available. And so that's how I got in. I'm going to leave. <laughs> Give me a slot or else I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But, but I was like, I want one of those slots, man. I want to like race that race. And so, yeah, that's how I got in 2016. And then once I was in, I knew if I could stay in the top 10, I could just keep coming back. So. I just needed to get in once. Well, I mean, 2016, you came third position. So it wasn't just top 10. It was like, it was the podium. That was my first season kind of after my dietary shift. Yeah. 2016 was the first year I did kind of high fat, low carb. Uh, and I really saw a big difference that year in performance. I, I mean, straight after, how many weeks after Western States did you do hard rock and come forth? 19 days. 19, yeah, not even weeks, days. So that must have just really gave you the belief that what you were doing with your diet was just solid. Yeah, I mean, just the re recovery, because I'd run, I ran uh, um, Hurt 100 in Hawaii in January of that year, so earlier in the year, and that was my first test on the diet. That was seven weeks after I shifted to the diet. And I was just like, I was dumbfounded at how solid my, uh, how solid my recovery was afterwards. Like how much, it was so much different. I had 2200s under my belt to compare it to as a high carb athlete. And I really noticed the recovery, like less swelling, less inflammation, um, less soreness. Um, and like noticeable. And so that was a big wake up call that I might be on, 
I might be onto something. And, uh, um, and so I knew going into Western States hard rock double that year that I knew that that would be a benefit going into it after, after that experience. Well, of course, because hard rock 19 days later, what you're counting on is recovery um, and just uh, resetting your body ready for the next hundred. So actually I got a question here for you. How about, so hurt 100 was like January, seven weeks into it. But then the previous 100 you did was ultra trail Mount Fuji, which you still got a really good result for because you came third. How did, and, and, but at that point you haven't shipped, you hadn't shifted your diet. So yeah. Can you draw comparisons between those particular two races on how you felt? Sure. The, the biggest thing, um, I ran into with, with Fuji, um, was I was having, um, major like, uh, candida issues at the time. So I was having like yeast, like a rash, like skin rash, a whole bunch of stuff flaring up on your uh, arms, legs or what? Yeah. 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 And, and GI tract. So like, I was like itchy on the inside. And so it was like, it was like not, a, and it was after I went to ultra fjord in Chile. I went, to, I did two trips to Patagonia in 2000, late 2014 and then early 2015 and raced. And I don't know, I came back from that about a month later and I just had some health stuff going on after that race. Okay. Um, you know, we, we drank unfiltered water and that whole race and it was like super muddy that that race was. So it was really gnarly. I had some GI stress during the race. So I don't know whether I picked something up while I was there. Um, I have no idea. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just a theory and who knows, I have nothing to prove that. Um, yeah. Cause you didn't have this forever, right? It just, yeah, it, I, it, it, it popped up after that trip in April of 2015. So by May, June, I was having issues and I was starting to have these flares every once in a while they flare up for like seven to 10 days. And I would just be miserable and itchy and GI weirdness going on. And I had a staph infection when I got back from that race. And so I started seeing a naturopathic doctor and um, was dealing with the, with the staff and got rid of it with some, of course, antibiotics. But he kind of said, hey, if this, is, if this is candida, you know, if this is yeast, if we give you antibiotics, it's going to wreck your gut as soon as you take it. And he said, you're going to, this candida is going to go crazy. And it sure enough did right. When I started taking the antibiotics after a few days, it just flared up big time. And so by that time I was starting to get pretty desperate. I was like maybe seventh flare up of the season. It was like November of 2015. And then I, that's when I sat down and did a bunch of research on anti candida diets. That's what got me down looking down this path of high fat, low carb, um, kind of looking at paleo. I was looking at like primal blueprint paleo forums at the time in 2015. Yeah. Um, and the kiss kept coming back. Like, Hey, if you, uh, you know, if you, you it's yeast is, it feeds on sugar and sugar and sugar is the, you know, um, if you can cut sugar back in your diet, you're not feeding the yeast. So that really got me down that path of, of kind of that. And then I came across at the time, who's a sponsor now, wasn't at, wasn't at the time, 
VespaPower.com. Um, Vespa uh, um, does like an amino acid peptide that helps with fat burning. And it had, had a whole bunch, it was a, that website was a plethora of information on fat adaptation for athletics, for endurance sports. And so, and that was shortly after the faster study had come out um, that the fat adaptation study that was done on endurance athletes by Dr. Jeff Volick. And so I, that, that was done in 2014. So it had just happened. And so that there was a bunch of buzz about that and kind of the endurance community at the time. And so I was like, I immediately called Zach Bitter, who was a good friend of mine and it was also sponsored by ultra. And um, so we were teammates. And so I just called him up and, and, and we had run together before and, and hung out before at like outdoor retailer in Salt Lake city. And so I, I called him and we chatted and then he got me in touch with Peter, Peter Defty at Vespa. And those two guys really mentored me in the, in changing on what to do diet wise, how to do it really kind of, you know, got me up to speed quickly. Um, cause I had a race coming up and yeah. I was kind of desperate at the time cause I needed to get a whole, I needed to get the candida in remission like yeah. where it wasn't flaring up all the time because I, it would always flare up, especially after a race. So if I went and did a race, I'd, my immune system would be a little low. I'd just taken a ton of gels, you know, a bunch of sugar. And then, yeah. you know, the week after the race would be horrible. Yeah. It does make sense that you would have it flare up after a race because I know when I've done races in the past and I've taken, I don't know, like three gels an hour. Um, you know, that's a lot of, and it takes some of the mountain ultras take 26 hours. It's a lot of gels. It's a lot of sugar. And so I suppose totally. the body's thriving. You've, you've fed this thing. So your primary reason for, cause your diet was pretty healthy before. Um, what were you, were you like, what was your diet before? Well, if you go back to history of my diet, I mean, I grew up on a farm in the, in, in the Midwestern United States. So, so it was like, typical standard American diet of like, you know, uh, but then in, in my twenties, I became a vegetarian for seven years. That didn't work so well with running and all the athletic stuff I was doing. Yeah. I just didn't thrive on that diet. And we switched to, uh, after some health issues, my wife was having a few health issues, um, with our, with our first child, um, after she gave birth, she was just having trouble keeping weight on when nursing. So we, we shifted back to clean meat. So we did like kind of a, organic whole foods diet. So yeah. clean meat, you know, grass fed, grass fed beef and, you know, free range chicken and, you know, wild caught fish and stuff like that. And so we started bringing meat back into our diet and we kind of threw away processed food. So we were still, we were, st- and we were soaking our rice and soaking our legumes and, and beans and, and, uh, um, oats and stuff like that. We were still eating grains at the time. Um, but we just did like basically, you know, we did bulk beans, bulk rice, would soak it. And then we do vegetables, fruit and meat. And yeah. we started doing that for, we did that from 2004 till I made that shift in 2015. Yeah. So, you know, 11, 12 years, almost 12 years. Um, we did a kind of an organic whole foods diet. Um, so I thought my diet was really good. You know, I thought it was really clean. I thought it was, you know, it's what everyone says to do. Like don't eat processed food, limit your processed carbohydrate and that kind of thing. And that's what we were doing. I still wasn't thriving completely because I, at that point I was like 44 or something. I I was in my forties. Yeah. 
yeah i mean it does it sounds like it was a really healthy diet but it seems i mean so all you've really done is you've cut out those man-made carbs like the pasta the rice the grains but essentially yep. your diet is meat vegetables and fruit i guess yeah and and starches like potatoes sweet potatoes stuff like that so i do use sweet potatoes and potatoes occasionally like strategically around yeah. those bigger effort and volume days and i'll occasionally for special occasions eat some white rice um you know but not but not a staple like you know i'll have it like twice a month type yeah. of deal yeah um and i'll eat a gluten-free pizza or something like that grain-free pizza every once yeah. in a while but but those are more special occasions with my kids and um you know or something like that but it's not a staple in our household and do you go about um always okay you had four eggs for breakfast and then you had a coffee and you had said heavy whipping cream in that yep. is that right yeah so, so cream but in the united states if you say cream that means half and half like if you go to a coffee shop and you yeah. ask for cream in your coffee it you get you get half and half which i don't like half and half because that's half milk and okay. but if you go to like say new zealand if you ask for cream you get legit cream like okay. it's real cream it's like 100 percent cream you know just like we have to say heavy whipping cream because in a grocery if we go to a grocery store in the united states you go there'll be cream which will be half and half and then there'll be heavy whipping cream which is 100 percent cream and do you still stick to the uh breakfast lunch dinner and then two snacks or something or how how does it look in the meals? Uh, most of the days i'm like today i'll work out at lunchtime so at like noon or one in the afternoon so um uh i'll eat mainly protein and fat in the mornings um and then i'll go into that workout unless i'm going to do speed work um i'll go into that workout uh carb fasted so going into it i haven't had carbs since last night yeah so i'll have had no carbs going zero carbs going into you know what that be like a 16 hour 18 hour carb fast yeah um before i do my workout and then i'll do a workout and then i'll have all my carbs from you know, this afternoon after my workout till I go to bed. So I'll eat most of my carbs in about a six to eight hour window. Um, and so I'll have fruit when I get back from the work. Uh, usually I'll eat, um, pro I'll, I'll prioritize protein. So I'll have lunch of some sort. Um, and then I'll usually snack on fruit, um, a little bit. And then I'll have, uh, the heaviest carb meals usually in the evening, um, yeah. with dinner with the family. And then uh, I sometimes will have another snack, you know, it depends on the volume that week or what the intensity looks like. I might have another carb snack before bed um, of some sort, you know, like fruit and, yeah, you know, almond so, butter or something. So your diet is like so clean. You're only having things from nature. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, there's nothing processed, um, you know, hardly ever, you know, I'll occasionally have a beer. I'll occasionally have some rice. I don't, I'm not super strict but I do minimize basically the, the basic rule is minimizing grains and sugar in my everyday diet and processed food. So, um, but we bake, you know, we'll do paleo baking. My, my daughter makes, you know, chocolate chip cookies with almond, almond flour and tapioca starch. So we'll have special thank treats every once in a while. But, um, you know, like I said, those are, those are treats, not staples. Yeah, there's a difference between something being a routine staple every day to a 
birthday treat or something it's a very small percentage of your your diet exactly Um, and then uh back to like ultra sign up and and you just excelled pretty much from would you say that you excelled from the change of your diet in your career i felt like it was a huge performance boost um i just you know based on my previous 2200s um i just kind of and i think it was a culmination of a lot of things i think the diets you know is a factor um around around that time i really started embracing mobility and strength training um in as a routine every week um so i you know stuff in my i really started doing that like at at when i was turned 40. um so about not eight nine years ago i really i was always lifted weights a little bit on and off through my whole 20s and 30s and and in my teens i was a bit really big into strength training um in my in my teens and college uh age university i actually heard you talk about a coach wouldn't allow you guys to do a session unless you'd ticked so many strength training workouts yeah so i had a coach a football coach who was also our head track coach or track and field coach in the spring Um, our football coach head football coach was also the pe coach in my high school junior high and high school and uh so you know last six years of kind of school before university um and those he was huge strength training advocate early adopter in the 80s of you know strength training was just starting to get kind of get rolling in high schools in the 80s and so they were starting to have weight rooms you know full weight gyms and in in the school that the school you know bought and purchased and built um so we built one when i was probably oh i was probably 12 or 13 when they 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 completed it and we immediately if you went out he was the he from seventh grade on seventh eighth ninth tenth eleventh and twelfth grade um he was the pe teacher and if you want if you played football um he he made you we did the nebraska so university of nebraska strength training program which was really well known in the 80s it was like this very strict strategic way of getting strong and um you know it was like you know you you would do you do all these different kinds of sets for six weeks of weight training for every kind of exercise and then you would max out and do a full max out session again and then you get your new numbers again and you'd have to lift specific weight specific times um and we lifted four days a week um all like from when I was in eight, basically eighth grade, so eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, five years. I ran, I lifted weights four days a week, and we had to come in twenty-seven times in the summer. He would open the weight room from like five a.m. or five thirty till noon, and you had to come in twenty-seven times. You had to check off twenty-seven times during the summer before football summer camp in August. So you had to come in. Basically, you had to come in three or four days a week in the summer as well. So we lifted year round for five years before I went to college. And then I lifted four days a week in college, most of college. So I was pretty big at one time. I was a hundred and, you know, I weigh 142 pounds now at, at my height of weightlifting in college. I was 165, 170 pounds. Wow. Um, I was, and that, I was pretty thick. And that wasn't fat. That was muscle. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I ha- I'm pretty muscular still. Um, 
I've lost a lot of that. I lost a lot of it when I was a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> I lost a ton of bulk. Um, there's a lot of like a muscle cannibal cannibalization going on at that time, that seven year span of vegetarianism. But, um, that's why I'm not a big fan personally of, of vegetarianism. It's just hard to get enough protein, especially if you're an athlete. You know, when you have that really hard race or that fail race, the race that went wrong or something like that, can you, is there something that you didn't finish that was uh, just a nightmare? And- I've only had one DNF in 20 years, and that was a rolled ankle at UTMB in 2015. And, and I tried to keep going on it for 50K, and I dropped a core my um, I limped on it for 50K, and I was just like, nope, this isn't going to happen. Um, but the uh, – because that's, that's when I had UTMF. I had a Mount Fuji four weeks after that scheduled already. I had all the travel plans scheduled. And so I, that was kind of the decider to like, okay, I got to get out of this rehab, this ankle so I can show up at UT, UTMF healthy. Um, so I was looking for redemption at UTMF. So I, I I raced hard there. Um, the, uh, uh, probably the, the race that I've fallen apart the most at was my first hard rock in 2007. Uh, I'd never been to those mountains before. Um, I hadn't done any kind of running there. I'd never been to the race. I didn't know what I was getting into, you know, as far as like the hardness of that terrain and, and, you know, dealing with altitude and all those things. I'd slept in a tent for four weeks of altitude tent, um, to get ready for it, but it was an old cheap altitude tent. It wasn't that great. And, um, it was pretty, pretty gnarly to sleep in that thing. It was tiny and it was a hot summer that year. And, um, we didn't have air conditioning and it was, it was a bad scene, but I showed up there and I, I went, I, I had one bighorn in 05, 06. So I showed up to hard rock in 2007 with kind of an ego. Yeah. And I chased at the time, Scott Jurek and Carl Meltzer. And I chased them the first 40 miles not too far back and then just started to like implode from that point forward i just like mile i remember going up engineer pass in the 40s just being like uh like trudging like super (laughs) slow and everybody all the veterans were starting to pass me you know they'd been waiting and waiting and waiting and holding back and they all started going by me and I just remember thinking, oh, I've made a mistake. And I just totally, the rest of the time, I just trudged along. I took a nap at mile 80 um, for 45 minutes and just couldn't get it. And finally, after the nap, I woke up and it was dawn. It had gotten, I come in in the dark and it got, I, I woke up in the light. It was light out. And I got out of there and, I, and at that point, you know, I never, never thought about quitting. You know, I just was having a horrible race. I was hypoxic. I was falling asleep on my feet. Um, one section took me not four, four hours to go nine miles. Um, and I just wasn't, I just was struggling. And that was a learning experience for me. Um, but also, it, it was also something that something came alive inside of me during that one and was like, okay, you're taking time away from your two, your wife and two kids. I had two kids at the time, not three. Yeah. And, and, 
and, and it's like, if you're going to do this and as a hobby, this is like the co internal conversation going on in my head. If you're going to do this as a hobby and, and, and spend money and drive, you know, multiple States away and, and take a week away from your family, you better finish. And that's what that was. So there was never this, I never really, I mean, I had thoughts of quitting, but I never had like that hardcore, like I'm, I think I'm going to quit. I just was like, always like, you know, I'm going to finish. So, and I knew I still had time on the clock to finish. So I just, I just, you know, and I finally got a second wind after I like had that nap, it kind of did a reset and, you know, I was able to kind of pick it back up and finish. Okay. Um, but ever since then, I've been like, never was going to drop out. That's never been an option for me unless I'm injured. Actually, you know what? Do you want to just um, uh, tell a little bit about Hard Rock, how many times you've run it, um, and also how you did so well in it? Yeah, so my first experience with Hard Rock was 2007. Hard Rock is in the San Juan Mountains in southwestern Colorado. And it's the biggest it's the biggest section of mountain range in the lower 48 states in the, in North America. So it's a huge section of like 14, like, uh, peaks over 14,000 feet. Okay. Um, and so it's just huge mountains. Like, you know, uh, um, so you're dealing with like really high altitude. The average elevation is 11,100 feet of that race. I think you go over, 13,000 feet seven times and you climb a 14er. So a 14,000 foot peak during, during the race. Yeah. Um, and they switch it every year. They go clockwise counterclockwise. So it's a, it's a loop through those mountains. And, um, so it's different every year. So, you know, it, it's harder in the clockwise direction. It's hard. Uh, um, excuse me counterclockwise direction is the harder, slower way. So if you look at Killian's fastest times, he has the rec he has the record in both directions. Yeah. Um, and Killian's record is fastest in the clockwise direction. Um, and that's, I've run the clockwise three times and counterclockwise once. So four times I have four finishes there. Yeah. So 2007, 14, 16 and 18. Yeah. And, and what was, uh, what was your, highest accomplishment in the rankings um i've won it in 2018 and then i've been fourth twice and i think i was in 2007 i think it was 15th or something with the one i took a nap in um, so how do you win one of the toughest mountain hundred milers in the world what was your strategy um, in terms of racing and what was your strategy in terms of eating? Well, at the time, like in 2016 and 2018, I did hard rock after Western States. So in 16, it was 19 days and it was 20, 23 days in, um, or excuse me, 26 days, 26 days in, uh, in 2018. So I, I went into those not expecting to like race, race hard. I just went there to like try to do my best and finish. And in a solid time, I had time goals in mind, but um, you know, when I went back, I went back with a little more confidence in 2018 
um, just based on my 2016 performance of doing the double. And I had an extra week of recovery because that year they ended up being, you know, a little less than four weeks apart instead of a little less than three weeks apart. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I really, um, concentrated on, um, going out easy. <laughs> you don't go out too hard at hard rock because it comes back to bite you later. You have to respect how big that course is and you just have to settle in and plug away until, and, and just keep doing it because the, there's, you know, I think there's 13 major climbs in that course and you just, and they're huge and you just have to like, you know, settle into every single thing and just let the day unfold. So I go into them with a lot, not a lot of mental expectations. I just kind of like take it, take it aid station to aid station. Um, you know, for me, like my, my, my diet during that is, is, uh, mainly liquid calories. Um, I do a ton of, you know, goo, goo energy labs, is one of my sponsors. So I use goo, uh, as a, in my, in one bottle in a flask and, and then water in the other flask. And I just kind of keep, I sip on that constantly and then I'll have a, a gel here or there. And then I'll eat a little fruit at the aid stations. Um, and that's about it. Um, I'll, I'll occasionally carry some salted plantain chips in a Ziploc bag or something like that. But um, other than that, there's not, a lot, I'm not eating a lot. Are you using poles at all during that race? Yeah. At hard rock, I do. I use poles in that race. Cause a lot of that course is steep, um, rocky above tree line. So, um, so yeah, it, it comes in handy in a, in a few spots in that race for sure. And there's some descents it actually comes in handy in. And about how many calories an hour are you consuming? Because you did that in 26 hours, 20 minutes. Yeah, about two, about 200 calories an hour or so, um, you know, during a race like that. I train with a little less. I train at about 100 to 150 calories an hour in long runs. And then I bump it up just a touch during races. And are you using the same liquid fuel that you'll use at Hard Rock in your training runs, long training runs? Yeah, yeah, I pre pretty much goo Roctane with a few gels, goo energy gels here and there. And then um, I'd use Vespa um, as, as a supplement every couple, two hours during the race or during the long runs, about every two hours. Um, and then I'll use uh, HVMN ketone esters a little bit too, maybe three or four times during the race. So it's, I look at it as more as like a supplement. It and Vespa look yeah. at it more like a supplement. Yeah. Um, and then my constant calories are coming from goo products. So, I mean, that's pretty insane to win hard rock 2018. That's got to be not just a game changer, but I guess a life changer. Well, it's definitely like out of all my wins. That's one of the cooler ones to have on my resume for sure. Um, you know, it was the, it was the year there was that controversy with, with Xavier taking aid outside of an aid station. He was in the lead. So I felt really bad about that whole thing. I was like, oh man, but, but you know, I was just running my own race. And at the end of the day, you, that's what you do. You run your own race and the chips fall where they may. And sometimes you get, you know, get a little gift of like someone gets DQ'd that you didn't expect. And I didn't find out I was in the lead until I was, you know, at mile 92. In 2018, you weren't starting hard rock with the intention to win the race. No, I was just doing it to go after, I was going after the double record. I had the double record of those two of Western States hard rock from 2016. 
and I wanted to break it. Um, and I didn't end up breaking it because I thought I got, I thought I was off course in the middle of the night. So I was actually closer to Xavier than what the time ended up being. Um, I actually ended up tacking on over an hour of like backtracking on the course to find a flag because they very, they minimally mark that course. Mm, like yeah. you kind of need some familiarity with it and I, or you need a GPS, the GPX route on your, on a phone. And mm. I didn't have my phone. I, I, because I'd been on the course so many times and scouted it so many times, I was like, Oh, I got this. I know where this. Yeah. But of course there's this one section where there was a, a Creek crossing with like a beaver dam, a new beaver dam had just shown up in the last season or two. And so since the last time I raced it, it was new. And so yeah. normally you would come up this drainage and cross the Creek and just go up this other drainage, but you had to go way above it, bushwhack all through these willows and then come back down the Creek before you could pick the trail up. And it just turned me all around. It was in the middle of the night and I started going up this side Canyon and I wasn't seeing any flags and I was on a trail and I was looking around at all the like formations in my, under my headlamp. And I was like, this doesn't look familiar at all, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so I kept going, kept going. And I started getting nervous. I hadn't seen any flags, not seen any flags. And I finally was like, all right, I got to turn around. Like I just, <laughs> I, you know, cause yeah. that's what you do. You, you backtrack to the last flag and find it. And then you go, okay, did I miss anything? And so I got back to the flag. I was in second place and I had like an hour over an hour lead on third and, and third almost caught me. I saw him in the, him and his pacer and their headlamps coming up on me on the other side of the Creek. So they weren't that far back, maybe 10 minutes back. And I was like, ah, oh. so I, I yelled across the Creek at him cause they were only maybe 50 meters across the Creek, but they still had to go up the Creek a little bit. Yeah. And I yelled at him. I said, you guys got flags over there. I thought I was off course, but I'm not, I got flags right here. And we kind of chatted real quick. And then I, I kept going at that point. I realized I was on the course and I got back up to where I turned around and literally 200 meters later, there was a flag. So uh, I, if I went a little farther, I, but that, that's a good lesson too, that for, to have a GPX route, right? If I would have carried my phone, I could have just checked it done 30, 20, 30 seconds. And I would have been moving forward instead of backtracking an hour. So, you know, during, um, hard rock or some big, um, mountain ultra marathon, are you kind of changing wets? I mean, there's a lot of, um, river crossings is there or where you get your feet wet. Do you change your socks or your insoles? No, I just leave the same. I mean, I always have my crew has one extra pair of shoes just in case you have something go on with like, you know, some, some kind of failure on a shoe or something. You never know. Um, and then I always have extra socks with crew. So they always yeah. have like a, you know, backpack with that stuff in it um, in case I need it, but I don't change it unless I think I need it. So at that point, if coming into a race like that, I train, you get my feet wet. So, you know, I do a lot of mountain running here. And so yeah. we have lots of mountain creeks. So you just, you know, get your feet wet and continue on training and let them dry out and get used to it. Um, you know, I do some pre-taping on like on heel pads and arch, um, just to keep from that it, on steep courses, you get a lot of friction. You can get a lot of yeah. friction on your arch and heel. Um, so I will do pre-taping. I lube, you know, with squirrels, nut butter, foot lube, um, yeah. stuff like that. But, um, you know, those kind of things. But other than that, I, I just kind of like train my, my, my feet. And I also wear in gingy socks, which I think helped too. 
you know, I don't get too many blisters. Do you go for like one layer with the Injinjis or do you double up with another sock on top of the Injinjis? No, but I just do one layer. Um, I've never really had too many. I've only had, before I started wearing Injinjis, I, I did have blisters on and off in races. I'd always have some blisters at the end of a hundred um, that I'd end up having to deal with. And I, one, one race in particularly in, in particular got pretty bad one year. So that was a, a, a really horrible experience. I had blisters on my ball, all of my feet up onto the top of my feet. It went up between my toes. So, but ever since I started wearing gingies and using some kind of lube and pre-taping bottoms on really steep races, I haven't had too many problems. I occasionally get a maceration and I have had trench foot <laughs> at one race. That was yeah. probably the worst I've ever had, you know, foot problems at ultra fjord. Cause we were wet the whole time, you know, 108 miles, 24 out, 24 and a half hours of wet feet. My feet were like, you know, I took my socks off. I thought I had blisters all over the bottom of my feet and, and cause they're so sore. And I yeah. took them off my socks off at the end of the race. And I just had purple splotches all over my feet. And I didn't even know what it was. I had to have <laughs> someone told me a week later that was a adventure racer. They're like, you have trench foot. I was like, Oh, you know? And so yeah. it was, that was pretty gnarly. And ever since I had trench foot in 2015 at ultra fjord, I've always had one spot on a right foot that gets a little bit, you know, the fold on it, the maceration. Yeah. Like you see in, in adventure racing. I, I get, I get that if I have really, really hot race like Western States or, um, or really wet feet, sometimes I can get a little bit of one on the bottom of my right foot. It tends to be like a problem spot now, but, um, that's the only one. Maybe it's just cause I'm getting old and wrinkly. I don't know. <laughs> no i mean it sounds like you've got the right idea you actually train with wet feet i mean it makes perfect sense you know in your training runs yeah specificity yeah yeah um how about then like last year western states you've been how many years now is it top 10 at western states uh four, four years yes 16 17 18 19 Okay. And then last year, I see that you were in ninth position, but I think your strategy, you take a kind of a strategy of really not starting in the top 10, but gaining places along the way. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, most of the time I just kind of run my own race in the first half and then I try to bring it home strong um, yeah. the second half. So that race ends up being, um, well, you know, last year was a, 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 an unusually cool year. So normally it's hot there and that causes a lot more carnage up front. Usually yeah. have a lot more people drop or fade because of the weather. Um, but last year it was, you know, like, so like, for example, to give you kind of a, a mile, the river crossing is at mile 78 on that course. And the lead top 10 are going through there late in the afternoon when the sun is really hot. Cause you got to remember it's June summer solstice, right? So longest days of the year, that time of year. So five, five o'clock in the afternoon, you know, so uh, uh, 1700 um, time wise, you're coming through there and the sun's you're going West. So your sun's in your face in the afternoon, the hottest part of the day, four or five in the afternoon. And, uh, it can be a hundred, most years it's over 110. So Celsius, 
or what's Celsius? 110. We, we should do a, we should do the figure here. I, actually, I had a, I had a, uh, hold on. I'll give you, I'll, I'll tell you what that is. Yeah. Pull it out. What's a, what's a 110, 43, 44 degrees Celsius. Um, hot. <laughs> it's hot. It's so hot. And so you're going across there and, and that's usually what it is. Well, that year it was, it was 93 at, at, at the river. So way less. And so you just didn't see the carnage, you know, like normally you feel like you're losing your, your brain is going to boil <laughs> going down there and you can't wait for the river crossing because you just want to get in the water. You all you can think about is getting in the water, you know? Um, yeah. But then, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you get across. Um, so last year was like not as big of a carnage. So normally I've been able to be in the top five coming through there, um, working my way up because people are falling apart. More people are falling apart. Last year, the younger guys didn't fall apart as much. And how far is that out from the finish? About 22 miles. Okay. Just under a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Just under a marathon from the finish. So usually that's where I pick off a ton of people on that last 22. I usually pick off three or four people. Um, almost every, every year I picked off three or four people through that section. Um, so you come, you know, I might come through there in like seventh and end up in third, you know, or yeah, come through yeah. eighth, and eighth or ninth or 10th. And so it just depends on the year. Every year is a little different, but last year was a unique year because it wasn't super hot. Um, and I think that's why, you know, when, when I came through there, uh, Kyle Petrari and I were in 10th and 11th. We were together. Um, he was right in front of me. We had to take boats last year because the river was high. So they took it, they take you, they shuttle you across on boats. They have multiple yeah. boats going back and forth constantly. And so yeah. I was right behind him in a boat behind him. Okay. And so he got out with his pacer in 10th. I got out in 11th. And then we just worked our way up and made, worked our way into, you know, top 10. Um, but we ran, you know, last year, the top seventh through 10th place were a minute and 57 seconds apart. That's close. Yeah. So close. Yeah. Seventh, eighth and ninth. So I was in ninth, seventh, eighth and ninth. We were in on the track in at the same time at the finish line. Yeah. That's crazy. 15 seconds apart, 30 seconds apart. So seventh, seventh to eighth was 15 seconds and, and eighth that 15 seconds is like the last straightaway. You know, you can see the person finish crossing the finish line as you're coming around the corner. Um, Just what, what's the name of that river you were saying is 22 miles out. Uh, Amer the American river, the American river. So at that point, and you mentioned, is it Kyle, another athlete, another runner? Yeah. Yeah. How, how did it feel knowing that it's you or him, you know, um, <laughs> but, but I, I know you expected to pass some people. How did you handle the pressure of that situation? Three years, top 10 Western States. Is this the end or can I do another, do it again? How, how did you handle that? Um, I definitely was thinking that I was thinking, man, where are all the guys? They normally come back by now. Um, and, but I, I totally just settled into getting up there and I, I, I got a, I normally don't use a pacer, but actually it comes in pretty handy at Western States because they're kind of behind you and they're, they're, they're your eyes behind you, you know, yeah. so no one can sneak up on you um, and try to pass you. So um, I use Chrissy, Chrissy Mayall was my pacer and 
um, from Green Gate, which is mile 80. So you climb, after you cross the river, you climb two miles up this kind of old fire road up to Green Gate aid station. And then that's 20 miles from the finish. And so I picked her up there and I told her like, we aren't talking much. I just put my headphones in. I said, we're going to run. And I'm like, we got to try to catch Kyle. And cause we were in 11th. And, um, so we started going and eventually we caught, um, uh, one of the Coconito Cowboys. Um, and Eric, we caught him at like, he was walking. So he was like blown up. So we passed him. And so that, then that put us in 10th. And at that point I was in 10th. And then at about 15 to go 12 or 15 to go, I, I got sight of Kyle and caught him and his pacer again. Um, we caught back up. Um, and then we made a move on him and like, we like just were surging and then recovering and surging and recovering and surging, and recovering and sur over and over and over. We were running so hard. Um, but he just, we couldn't quite, couldn't quite drop him. And then finally we dropped, dropped him on the, I, um, I dropped him on the, like I dropped Chrissy. So I dropped my pacer on the way up to highway 49 climb, which is like about seven. The top of that climb is about, about seven to go. Yeah. When I got to the top of that climb and she probably six to go, I guess the 10, there's probably 10 K left. Um, and so I dropped her. Well, come, I come into the aid station with six to go. I look over my shoulder and Kyle's coming into the aid station. He's dropped his pacer. So we've both dropped our pacers. We've been running so hard. And, and so I take off out of there and, um, and eventually ended up catching, uh, um, let's see who else, who else was it? Uh, Solomon runner from, from South Africa. Uh, um, Ryan Sands. Yeah. Ryan Sands. Yes. That's what yep. it was. And so Ryan was blown up too. So he was kind of jogging slow with, and he didn't even say, he just kind of said, good job guys. As we went by, you know, <laughs> he looked pretty hammered. And, um, so we went, fly, I went flying by, by myself. Kyle's on my tail, you know, maybe a hundred meter, 200 meters back. And, um, and come to find out at the time, we didn't know this, but Patrick Regan was making a move too, had dropped his pacer on the climb and was catching up to us. And we didn't know he was coming. I got down to no hands bridge, maybe two and a half miles to go, you know, less than a 5k and I'm running up, you know, and I got headphones in and I'm looking over my shoulder and looking over my shoulder. And all of a sudden, maybe been 30, 40 seconds. I hadn't looked over my shoulder and Regan goes flying by me and like with like two miles to go, I was like, Oh, and, and so I couldn't, I couldn't reel him back in on the climb. He had made a really good move. And so I tried, we ended up being 30 seconds apart at the end. Like he was 30 seconds ahead of me. Um, but we got to the top and got into town and like we threw down the last mile and a half. I was running full out. I gave my, you can crew and mule the last mile and a half. Once you yeah. hit town and pavement, you can, your crew can come out backwards on the course. Yeah. And I, I got to the top of the hill and out in town and I like, you're on the streets and I like handed my water bottles to my, one of my crew. And I was like, yeah. hold, I got to swing my arms you know, <laughs> like road racing. So it was, it was a pretty intense moment, but you know, we ended up running. What's interesting about that as far as data goes as a coach, I went back and looked at the Strava segments because the only time you really run that Strava, so from Forest Hill to the finish is about 37, 37 miles. Um, yeah. You have to cross the river in that middle of that. So the only time you really see people run that segment is during the race on Strava. 
Yeah. So I went back to the Strava segment and I took the first, I was the last person to leave uh, Forest Hill. So I took the, the first, I took this, the, the first segment, um, number four, I, I took the first place slot and Regan took second and Kyle took third. So seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th place at Western States last year took the top three Strava slots from Forest Hill to the, the finish, the last 30, 60K, um, at, because we were racing so hard for the top 10. I mean, that gives you a perspective of how hard we're, we ran faster than Walmsley ever has run. Yeah, for the last 60K. For the last 60K. We ran Which sub six is, yeah. hours. So I ran 5.43. Regan ran like 5.46 or something like that. And I think Kyle ran 5.51. And no one's broken six hours besides us three. Is Wormsley up there in the top 10, I guess, somewhere? Oh. He's in the top 10. I think um, Gidim Nas Grinius had it. Had it yeah. Um, Grinius had it at uh, six flat. He had the from 2000, I want to say 14 or some 15 or something. I can't remember what year. Uh, one of those years where he was in like third, I think, or something, or he was in the top three. Um, so he had closed. He's a closer too. So he, he had closed strong one year. So he had it from one of the years, but interesting data, right? Yeah, it is interesting. And so Pat Reagan's the only person to pass you after the American River in all four races. In all four years, the top 10, I have never been passed beside, except Patrick Regan last year yeah. with two miles to go. And he yeah. snuck up on me. If he had, if I'd seen him, I would have, I think I could have tried to hold him off. But I mean, yeah. by the time he passed me, he had made such a good move. Yeah. You know, a typical like move, like where you surge hard. He passed me and had gapped me by like 50, 60 meters before I like, before it like, it, like I was so in oxygen debt at the time from so many moves on Kyle that I was just like, I finally was like shook it off and was like, I got to chase him. You know, like it took me, you know, probably 10 seconds to like catch myself to go, go after him. You know, how far out from the finish was it when, uh, Regan maybe, took you? maybe three K. And so he only had 30 seconds in three K. That's pretty good. That's like yeah, yeah. 10 seconds every K. Yeah, he was, he definitely was working his, and most of that was when he first passed me. That's where he yeah. got the gap. And then I could see him the whole time. I just couldn't yeah. close the gap. And he's yeah. definitely a better, he's, I mean, he's a lot younger than I am. So when he got on the road in town, I mean, we ran hard on the road. Like we were throwing down fast time the last mile, but I'm sure he has a little better leg speed than I do when it gets on the road. So I, I suppose then, um, after those epic performances, then Western States has been canceled this year, but you're in it for next year though. Yeah. And hard rock got canceled again. I was in hard rock too. So I was in hard rock last year and it got canceled because of all the avalanche, uh, and snow on the course still. Yeah. Um, there's so many new avalanches and there's so much debris. I actually went to the San Juans last year in August and got to see some of the damage that was done to the course from the avalanches. It was pretty gnarly. I mean, some places there were 60 feet in August, there's still 40 to 60 feet of snow with full trees mixed into the snow in the valley. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like they were digging stuff out with one of those, those giant yellow kind of construction front end loader type vehicles, the ones with the giant tires on them, the tire likes taller than your car. 
Yeah, so it's a it's a big operation. They've got to get these these trails and paths back in place. Yeah, these are it was it covered full valleys like in one like where Grouse Gulch aid station is. Um, two avalanches converged, so they hit the valley at the same time and then converged in the valley, um, and dropped. You know, I mean, whole trees. Um, you know, in the that are all stuck in the snow, so they have to dig all that kind of stuff out. Yeah. Um, with like front end giant machinery and front end loaders. And we, there was a guy there cleaning it out when we went up there. Cause we went up to grouse Gulch in August to check it out and went up to the, the 14 or that's on the course. That's where you park. That's the trailhead. And we went up there and we had to park way down the road and hike up. And there were still snow fields across the Creek and the Creek's probably 15, 20 feet deep as far as like the, the gorges and there's yeah. snow fields across the whole thing still in August. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. And, um, and that was, so two years it's been canceled. Um, one because the avalanches and then obviously because of COVID-19 now, what, what, what race, uh, in the future excites you the most? We've all been at home and locked down and stuff and, or to a certain extent, what are you excited about for next year? Oh, well, I, I'm excited to get back to Western States and Hard Rock again. Um, yeah. It was kind of actually nice to have a break this year, I have to say. <laughs> um, just because I've been doing it every year for four, you know, four years or so, I've been doing kind of like, or most years I've been doing that double. It was nice to have a break from the double. Um, you know, so I'll be back in those next year. I'm looking at maybe doing Bigfoot 200 next year, like making the jump okay. to a 200-mile race yeah. uh, next in, in 2021. Um, I've actually even thought about doing it this year um, with everything being canceled because um, they're looking like some of their later rate 200s might happen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, I, I really like w once I'm not in Western States and hard rock, <laughs> I really am looking forward to doing scout mountain hundred, the yeah. new hundred in Pocatello, Idaho. Um, I think it's Luke Nelson's race. So he's a one of, he's a Patagonia ambassador as well. Um, good friend of mine and it's a killer course really hard 25,000 feet of climbing so um, really pretty race in June um, but it conflicts with Western States so as long as I'm in Western States I can't do it I've been wanting to do yeah. it for several years now since he started 100 there and um, I've got friends that have done it and athletes that have done it so it, everybody talks about how raves about how it's a cool course so that's a bucket list item as well I think it's pretty awesome that you've got uh, goals and aspirations after Western States. And, and obviously you're not going to step out of Western States when you're in the top 10 because it's a streak, isn't it? Yeah, I totally, you can't, especially at my age, you can't. And I have, I, I really want to, I really want to get in the top 10 next year just because I'll be 49 for the race next year. And then that would put me in the race when I'm 50. Um, and I really yeah. would like to have the 50 plus record. Uh, you know, that's a, definitely a goal of mine is to stay in the top 10 until I'm 50 and, um, and then show up when I'm 50 and smash the course, the 50 plus record. And maybe then I might not go back to Western States. We'll see. Oh man. <laughs> what voluntary <laughs> step out of an automatic entry. <laughs> right. I might, it might be just a drop the mic moment or something. I don't know. I, I, I there's so many other races that I want to do and, and you have to be so peaked and ready for western states you know you have to put, your whole spring is focused on it and if you can let go of those statistics and think about 
what do I want to get from this experience? You know, and it's not just to hit certain statistics and numbers, then why not? You know, why not step out of that? You know? Yeah. Um, hey, Jeff, I'm fully aware, man, that I've took up loads of your time, but I've really just enjoyed this conversation. It doesn't even feel like a, a podcast. I'll, I'll air it and stuff anyway. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's just nice to hear, you know, because I think the thing is, and a South uh, African said this to me many years ago, you do a race or you do something, you have an adventure, and there's no one there to really you know, ask you about it and retell the story. And I'm not saying that you don't get to retell the story, but it's just really genuinely interesting to hear your um, stories. And I think you could, one hour is nowhere near enough time. You could just talk about one race for one hour. And you've done how many 100s? Yeah, 3,900s. What's the stats on that? 21 wins in 39 races, in 3,900s. Yeah. Yeah, 20, I think um, Carl Meltzer has the record. Um, and Trayson is in second with 22 wins yeah. and I'm in third with 21 wins. So I'm not that far behind Anne. So, and Anne's pretty much retired. So, so there's no more wins on her horizon. So Carl's still eking one out every once in a while. And he's, at, he's untouchable. He's got like 40 some wins. So in hundreds. So, um, so I'm, I'm just trying to get into second. That's yeah. all. Well, you got third in the uh, men's ultra runners uh, list of the decade. So that's pretty good. I think you beat uh, Carl on that one, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I did beat him on that one. So I've had, I, I think I've had a more successful 40s. So, but actually he's pretty, he's so solid, man. He's been, I mean, he's still winning. He's in his fifties, you know, yeah. he still wins every once in a while. So he's a solid runner for sure, man. He's a legend for sure. For sure. A good friend of mine too. We've run a lot of miles together, training miles too, venture miles. So he's a good dude. Yeah. I've been in contact a little bit with Carl, you know, with advice for the Appalachian trail. I helped pace Carol Sabay in 2018. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, um, uh, like looking at going from my own attempt as well. So Carl, Carl's been really cool getting back to me with questions and stuff and just real nice guy. Yeah. He grew, he grew up in, in like the Northeast. So He's like, I think he grew up in Vermont or something. So he's like, he's, he's, he loves that trail. That's like, yeah. he likes to go back there every year if he can. Yeah. I think he said he wouldn't mind hiking it with his wife one time, you know, just not even race, but just hike, which is a nice thing to do. All right. Um, well, Hey, listen, before you go, do you want to, um, uh, do you want to like kind of say what you think the difference is between success and failure? mindset that's what i would say mindset is the difference like you have to if you want like i think one of the things that's cool about failing is is it's kind of like a line drawn in the sand you have to make a decision at that point am i going to quit you know if i fail at something or am i going to try again and eventually figure this out and i think the mindset is an important piece of ultra running obviously um but in life in general, I think it's, it's a good, um, it's something we really have to like embrace is like a positive, a positive mindset. Um, how do we, how do we spin bad towards good? And then, and then today's day and age and everything is going on and especially in the United States and yeah, you know, um, the stuff that's going on in our country. Um, I think it's, 
mindset's a huge one. We have to like, we have to start looking at how we can turn it to the positive. And also I think I'll add to that, that, um, persistence, because you said, if you fail, draw a line and say, how can I move forward? So if you just quit and then you walk away, um, you, 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 there's a lot of lessons to learn from, sorry, failing, you know, but if you just quit, you can't apply those lessons. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, Persistence. Hey Jeff, do you want to give a shout out to your, um, I'll chuck it all down in the show notes and stuff. Do you want to give a shout out to, first of all, you're a running coach and you also specialize in um, fat adaptation. Do you want to give that a shout out? Yeah, sure. You can get hold, you know, uh, my website's gobroncobilly.com. Social media is gobroncobilly on Instagram and Twitter uh, and Facebook. Um, And uh, I do specialize in fat adaptation coaching and um, trail, trail running, mountain running. And, uh, yeah, big shout out to some, a couple, you know, a couple of my main sponsors, Patagonia and ultra ultra footwear. Love to give a shout out to them. Um, goo energy labs and pro tech, uh, recovery, uh, foam rollers and recovery, uh, recovery products. Um, those are my kind of my big four. Um, um, so I appreciate their support and, uh, it allows me to go out and, you know, explore the mountains and race hard and, um, and I appreciate, I appreciate, you know, being on the show. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, no, that's really, that's, that's kind, man. <laughs> um, no, I appreciate you coming on the show. Be sure to tune in next week. The episodes are released on Mondays. And my guest next week is none other than Mr. Speedgoat Carl Meltzer. So that's something for you to look forward to.